0: Let's pray, and we'll get started tonight. Lord, we thank you for drawing us here, um, uh, making it our day in such a way that we had this time to set aside for you, and um, some of us, maybe it was more difficult to get here, or uh, the energy, or whatever it may be, um, trials, tribulations, the busyness of life, but we're here, and um, you made a way for us, and we're here to sit at your feet, we're here to let your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts to refresh us, to teach us, to encourage us. We just want to be near our Father tonight, and we pray that you'd speak to us. We see Jesus your Son's heart in this chapter of trying to give as much information as possible to the guys before he leaves, and we see your heart in that. And so we're listening. Whatever you have for us tonight, Lord, we're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a very sweet moment, these last few chapters of Matthew, right before the cross. This is the end in chapter 25 of the Olivet Discourse. He's gone in, Jesus has, and done everything he needed to do in town. And now he's outside speaking to his disciples and trying to give them, like I prayed, as much information as he can before he leaves, because that is the purpose of Christ's coming. Christ uh, was sent last minute. For a appointed time, not as an afterthought, always planned, but in the very last of the days, He has spoken to us through His Son Jesus. He's spoken to us before through Moses, through the Law, through the Prophets, but He tells us that now He's spoken to us in these last days through Jesus. It, uh, the parable that we read um, a week ago, two weeks ago, where Jesus described. How uh, in in story form, how the vine dresser sent his servants to collect what was his, uh, but they were beaten and they were stoned and so on, and then finally the vine dresser thought, well, maybe if I send my son. And so the whole point of this is God has been forever trying to communicate with mankind since they separated themselves from Him, and He's forever trying to woo people's hearts back to Him, and, and that is. His mission and our mission as a church, as an individual believer or as a body of Christ, is to continue to communicate from God on behalf of God to the people that they can be saved, that they're not lost yet, that there's an opportunity for them to return to Him, that there's simply a prayer away, a repentance away, just a turning away from their sin and towards God step. That's it. And so as Jesus senses and knows that his time is near, he's getting to the point where he's going to pray in the garden the night before and um, sweat blood because of what's the trial that's set before him of the cross. Knowing this, he is trying to give the guys as much information as he can, word of mouth, person to person, God become flesh, before that's over with. Now, he does tell them that when I leave, it's going to be okay. The Holy Spirit will come. The helper will come, and he'll speak to you. And that's the blessing and opportunity we have to hear from God. And that is how he continues to speak to us. It's through the Holy Spirit. He spoke through the law. He spoke through the prophets. He spoke through his son, Jesus Christ. It's also written in his word. But he continues to speak to us through the Holy Spirit in our personal walk. No new revelation. Don't get me wrong. No uh, private interpretation, none of that. But the helper, like Jesus said, is to lead and guide us into all truth and so continues to teach us and do what Jesus did for these guys. So you can almost hear the desperation as he is toggling between what's actually going to happen and then stories to help them to understand what this is, what's happening. Parables, uh, actual events, and he he goes through this Um not in desperation, because we know he's not like that. He never ran anywhere, not that we could tell. But he knows that his time is short, and his opportunity to speak to them is even shorter. And so that's what we see tonight in this chapter 25. Wonderful parables, several of them. Uh, very difficult to teach, by the way. Um So I looked up a lot of information, tried to read a lot of commentaries to see what everybody thought, you know, because you kind of do that. It's a little nerve-wracking sometimes. And Pastor Chuck, I think, finally said it best. He goes, you know, there's 10 virgins and there's 10 interpretations of these virgins. He says, so I'm not going to waste your time and give you all 10. I'm going to give you what I think and you can throw it out if you want to and do whatever you want. And so even Pastor Chuck, who's... Great Bible teacher, best I've ever heard. Um, You know, we don't know exactly. But I can tell you, and this is what I want to emphasize tonight, we may not know the details, exactly what they mean, moment by moment. And there are many, many people who have written books that will tell you the details and what they mean or what they think they mean. But here is the most important thing we can grab from this, is Jesus says it's urgent that you're prepared for my second coming. It's urgent that you're prepared, whether the 10 virgins are of the church or whether they're the mixed or the world or whether the oil means the Holy Spirit or and you'll see what I mean when we go through this if you haven't already. The urgency of being about our father's business and being prepared for his second coming is the most important thing we can get from this chapter. Okay, so verse one. Jesus continues, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. All of them slept. (laughs) That wasn't like there were five really, really great virgins out there and they were really wide awake and paying attention like they were supposed to and looking for the return of the bridegroom. No, they were all sound asleep. And I want to start there because sometimes we can say, well, those are the bad people and those are the good people. No, they're all asleep. Some were more prepared than others. Now, this is very cultural. We have a pretty simple wedding plan or marriage system in our country. It's a little different than this. Theirs is two men, the husband or the the fathers would get together and say, yeah, my guy, my son and your daughter, and they'd make an arrangement and the kids would be outside going, oh gosh, I hope he's cute kind of thing, you know, and preparing And then there would be a moment of vows where they promise that they're going to be together, but then they've got a a year-long wait until he, the bridegroom, actually shows up to take her home because he's got work to do. He's got to get a place prepared for her. He has to get ready to provide. He's been a son, you know, up until now. And now I'm going to be a husband. That's a whole different deal. I'm now starting a family. I'm now responsible for that family. I'm now... Got to provide protection and financial things. And Hunter, can you feel that now, buddy? You know? Wow. And we're here to help any way we can. It's hard. It's a big deal. So you've been a son forever, and all of a sudden you're going to be, oh. So they take a year off, and now they go do this. And he's going to build a place, and usually he would add on to his father's house build a place for them and they would live there and work on dad's farm and so on. And she would leave and cleave and so on. They would go help and s- agricultural kind of thing or, or whatever. It could be different things. I don't want to focus on that too much. So in the process of that year long waiting, they knew about the time he was going to come to get her. It's about been a year. It's almost time, but he come anytime. And that's kind of the fun of it. It's kind of a surprise, you know? And, uh, the only thing I've learned from this last wedding is we don't like surprises. You know, we like everything to go according to plan. And it did. It went really well. But they took a little different approach. It was exciting for them. And so these maidens, who were her bridesmaids, basically, were there to be ready and to be looking. And when they see him coming, they're supposed to go meet him with their lamps. And, you know, he'd always come at night because that's what guys do. He'd all stealthy and show up at night. So The guy's going to come at night, and they get their lamps, and the the bridesmaids are supposed to help him and help him get to her. Really really beautiful, you know. There's not really any significance to the 10 or the fact that they're virgins from what I've read. Some would say there is. It's absolutely necessary. There's 10 kingdoms, and I don't know. I don't know. The idea is they're young. They're there to support her. They're there to prepare and to help and to be ready, and to be looking, and to be watchful. Um, and so five weren't, and five were. They all had lamps, but some didn't have the oil. And oil is always representative of the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures. So here's the, here's the best interpretation we could have from that is um, the Holy Spirit is not present in five of them. And so my leaning and my thinking on this is that this is actually the church or the church as, as, a whole, as a whole, denominationally wise, you know, Christendom. Those who say they're Christians and those who are Christians, but all sitting in the same place. And five have the lamps. The five know that he's coming. All are asleep, but some, they're not even saved. They don't even have the Holy Spirit. And, and we get that from Romans chapter uh, 8, verse uh, see, where is that? I know I wrote it down here. Romans 8, 9. It says this, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So we know that a believer receives the Holy Spirit when they believe. They're not necessarily talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which at Calvary we believe is a separate work Um, Because we see that in Scripture, not because we make that up or think that that's our, we really read that in Scripture, that Acts chapter 2, although the guys are all saved, they're praying, they're seeking the Lord, they love Jesus, they're ready to minister, they weren't able to leave that room until God endued them them with power from on high by baptizing them with the Holy Spirit. I don't think that's what this is. I think this lack of oil in their lamps is they're pretenders in the pews and pretenders in the pulpits, not going to leave us out as pastors. There's a lot of churches and a lot of denominations where there's a lot of pretenders on in both places. And there may be some in this room tonight, I don't know. And the whole point of this message of chapter 25 is for those in this crowd tonight that don't have any oil. You've been sitting in church your whole life. You know about Jesus, you know, but you do not have the Holy Spirit. You're not his, you're not saved. And this is a warning Jesus gives out to these, to the guys. You've got to have the oil. You've got to be saved because there's going to come a time when he's showing up and no one's ready and you're going to go out and you're not going to have that oil and you're going to realize this whole thing wasn't just a club, wasn't just a place to go. It was an actual waiting in a group of people that were looking for the clouds to come in the sky. So because they knew Jesus was coming and He's going to show up for real. And they're going to be like, Oh my goodness, give me some of your oil, which we're about to read. They're like, uh, it doesn't work like that. This is mine. You have to have your own. It's got to be personal. And so right off, Jesus likens himself to the bridegroom, which is a very big deal. They understand what this means. The people that are listening, the Jewish people, understand that from all scripture that they know, which is the Old Testament, Isaiah 54, 4 through 5, do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame, for you will forget the shame of your youth, and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your Maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. Now that section of scripture and the rest that I'm going to read proclaim God to be the bridegroom always. And Israel in this case is the bride. We know that the church is the bride of Christ and we believe that Israel is the bride of the father, but that's a separate Bible study. Either way, when Jesus claims to be the bridegroom and that he's coming again, he's claiming truly to be God. Because nowhere in scripture do they ever see anybody other than God called the bridegroom. Okay, so he's making a bold statement. That's not the only place. Isaiah 62, 5. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Bridegroom is God. Jeremiah 2, 2. Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness, In a land not sown, and they're showing the relationship between Israel and the Father, going after God. And so Jesus claiming to be the bridegroom is Him claiming to be God. So there's another one. Now, the concern here, obviously, is they slept. At midnight, verse 6, a cry was heard Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. And this is what we talked about. They would go out with their lamps. Now, five of them are scrambling to get theirs lit. And the other five are ready, sleeping all, all of them. But the other ones got their lamps lit and they were ready to go. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in uh, with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Those five virgins are on the outside now. Now they've gone out and tried to get saved, or done whatever they needed to do, whatever those other virgins were telling them to do. We can de- debate that um, all we want, and, and and I may be wrong, and I'm I don't I, that's fine. I'm really not worried about it. The point is, I don't want anybody in this room to be on the outside of that door. And you need to be saved, and you need to trust in Jesus for your salvation, and you need to have your oil for this moment, because he is coming again. It's as sure as his first coming. It isn't some allegory. I can't believe how many... I try not to get on these tangents, but how many denominations claim that his second coming isn't actual, that it's allegory, that it's a, a constant living like Christ kind of thing, or the book of Revelation is simply just an allegory for us to learn uh, the history of the church and how, oh, no, he's really coming back and it's going to get really bad around here. And we need to have our oil and we need to be looking And although we may be asleep, unfortunately, but you know, when you read this story, how could you stay up for three or four days or five days in a row looking and being constantly vigilant all the time? So I don't fault them for sleeping. I don't know that that's the problem in this. I don't see Jesus making a big deal about the fact they were asleep. He just came when nobody was ready. And I think that's the key. Not that they were lazy and sleeping and not looking like they were supposed to. But the fact is, he just surprises everybody when he shows up. And that is consistent with scripture. We know that no one knows the hour. We know the, "Mm, we're close. We don't know. And so I was thinking while we were singing that song, Holy, Holy, Holy tonight, I was like, that'd be a great time for the rapture to take place. And we just kind of go, Holy, 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 and step in and join the chorus of everybody else up there. Holy, Holy, Holy. I'm like, yeah, we know this song. We're from Calvary, Maryville. We got this, you know. I thought that'd be cool. It didn't happen. It'll happen when we're sound asleep, drooling on our pillows, and we'll get caught off guard, and we'll be woke up with your eyes open. Oh, my, we're here, you know, kind of thing. And that's the idea behind this sleeping, I believe. The panic of the other five is disturbing to me. Because Jesus is very emphatic in this story. Please don't miss his urgency of the fact. And and Jesus talked about hell more than anything else. He talked about being ready more than anybody else. He talked about everlasting life or everlasting punishment more than anybody else in Scripture. Because he knows. He's seen it. It's been built by him for the angels and for Satan. Satan. And people were never, ever supposed to go there. Hell was never designed for human beings. The only reason human beings are going to hell is because they've decided to not align themselves with God and to align themselves with the people it was built for, Satan. And so Jesus, you can see his desperation. Please have your oil. Please be ready. Because the door is shut to those five. And afterwards, verse 11, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. So reminds me of Noah and the ark. We have really softened that story quite a bit. And I understand because it's a children's story for the most part. And we as adults know the seriousness of what happened. But it wasn't a plush animal kind of toy thing, you know. And I'm not, don't get me wrong, we have them at our house too. I'm all for Little, little Fisher Price, you know, Ark and stuff and them getting in. Love it. Love to get the kids into that story and to remember that story. But we ought to have a bunch of dead people, Little Price people, bumping their heads on the side of the boat or clawing their way trying to get in too. But that might be a little too much and hard to market. Because, can you imagine the pounding on the side of that ark as the door was shut and it's too late? And the screams and the cries of Noah and the eight that are inside, all eight, he being one of them, seven and eight, Noah and seven, sitting in there listening to that outside, knowing they can't open the door. God shut them in. The seriousness of this. I don't know you. That should trigger another scripture. We'll get to it here in a minute. Watch, therefore, Jesus says, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. In other words, don't think I'm delaying. Don't think that I'm not coming. Don't let anybody deceive you into thinking that it's allegory, that it's not going to happen. What a a trick of the liar, Satan. He's not really coming. You don't have to worry about that. You're not going to die yet. He's got a long, there's a lot of things that have to happen before he shows up. You've got plenty of time, just that constant procrastination and telling people that it's going to be fine and it's not going to be fine. Watch, therefore. Verse 14, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, stretches to another parable, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Now, I have always taught this as being faith. Nobody teaches that. So I'm going to teach you tonight what I've never taught, actually, that the talents are actually opportunities and gifts for us, good works for us to walk in, which is how most people teach this. My struggle with teaching it that way has always been the end result that if you didn't use the talents right, you go to hell. Yee, <laughs> you know, Really? So I trust in Jesus, and I believe in him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. But if I don't do everything he wanted me to do, and I don't walk right, then and use these gifts appropriately, and I just end up holding my talent out back to him, not not used, I didn't really do anything for the Lord while I was down here, that he's going to tell me I can't come in. So, um, you're like, yeah, so, well... It's, it's interesting. I, I've always taught it faith in the sense that God's given to each of us a measure of faith to use, to exercise. Some people never use their faith. Everybody has the opportunity to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, but not everybody does. It doesn't mean everybody can't. It just means they don't, if that makes sense. And so, And some people are given more faith. In fact, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that God can give is someone has the gift of faith, which means they've got maybe more faith than I do, you know? I think I'm going to go to this place and teach the gospel. Oh, Better you than me, man. I'm going to Maryville, you know, kind of thing or something like that. So I've got like two talents and he's got like five because he went to like Africa or whatever. Good job, David. Crazy. Uh, You know, more faith, less faith, but still faith. And we both did our jobs, both did what we were called to do. You can't get there. We're praying God opens that country up again so you can get back there. But, um, That's how I've always taught it. And then there's always those that just show up and say, I didn't use my faith. You want it back? You know, Okay. And because you didn't exercise your faith and believe on Jesus. So that's the two teachings. But really, as we go through this, the reason I want to try tonight this other way is because if we go along with that first parable where he said it's actually the church, pretenders in the church and actual believers in the church, that would kind of go along with these talents then. You're a pretender in the church, you're an actual person in the church, and I'm going to give you all talents to use to bring me glory. Um, one of the greatest guitar players, I think, there's two actually that I really like that aren't believers. I think Joe Satriani. I don't know if you know who he is. Amazing, amazing guitar player. And I think of Eddie Van Halen. I don't know if you know who he is. Um, wow. I mean, really, some of you going, yeah, am I supposed to know who he is? Is it okay to not? It is. It is. I, he's Amazing. But never use those talents given to him by God for the purposes of the kingdom. And so that would apply here, I would think, if that makes sense. So that's where I'm going with this. Okay. So I've given you five, I've given you two, and I've given you one. What are you going to do with it? Five traded, two mm, did, you know, did, did some more, worked it. The other guy says, I don't know what to do with them. I'm sticking the ground, so at least I didn't lose anything when, I, when he shows up. after a long time, the Lord of the servants came and settled accounts with him. Now, make no mistake about it. No matter how long a period it is, Jesus is coming to settle accounts. That really stuck with me as I was reading this. He makes it a point to say it's a long time, but he is going to settle accounts. And so no matter how long it takes for Christ to come the second time, whenever it is, he will settle accounts. And the idea behind saying that out loud is that some people might think, well, he's really not going to do anything. What difference does it make? What I do here on earth, he ain't coming, another lie. Verse 20, so he who had the five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will Make you ruler over many things, enter into the joy of the Lord. And so it does go along with opportunities to serve God. I'm going to give you even more. And it also teaches us a little bit about what's happening in the future when He comes again. In the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand year reign of Christ, which is always kind of mysterious because it's in the book of Revelation, not everybody likes to think about that. Like, and it's really short, like He doesn't give us a lot of details. This might be a detail. Because it says in the millennial reign of Christ, not only he is king, but we as saints rule with him during that thousand-year reign of Christ. I don't know what that means or what that looks like, except perhaps if you're faithful in what God's given you to do for ministry here on this earth now, maybe we get more because you've been entrusted and you've been faithful what he's given you. You've been given a little, you've been faithful a little, I can trust you with more kind of thing. Maybe. So he says, I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you more. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He also who received two talents, verse 22, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. Both of them doubled their money. That's excellent. The Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So, so far, so good. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there, you have what is yours. Now there's the attitude there that's hard not to pick up on. He has no real fear, fear. He has, says, he has, I was afraid of you because you're so crazy. Here, here's your money back. It's almost like he was more afraid to fail than to lose it, like, I knew you'd kill me if I didn't at least give you the one back. Like, if I didn't show up with, I mean, look, I know you're happy with these guys for doubling it, but if they had lost it, what would you have done to them? There's this idea of, hey, at least I gave it to you back. There, there's your money. So there's, there's a fear, but there's not. There's a fear of failure. There's a fear of, it may not go like God wants it to, and there, there is that in ministry. I've felt that, and I've failed many, many times. Um, so I understand that sense of, Oh, you know, there are times when I'll come home from church after teaching and you, you walk off this place and you just want to go get into a hole someplace. Cause you just feel like, Oh my goodness, that, what a disaster. Cause I know that I got in the way of God's message. I got in the flesh. I got a little JD ish up here, you know, imagine that. Um, And you go home, and you're just like, oh, God, don't kill me. You know, (laughs) he wouldn't, of course, but you you do have that conversation with him. Really, really sorry about that, you know. Um, So there is that fear, but it doesn't mean you don't come back next Sunday. You don't have that option, you know. You get up, and you do it again, and you may fall again right away, but you got to keep doing it until he tells you you don't have to show up anymore. you got to show up. You got to do these things. And so he holds this kid accountable. I was afraid of you, so I just gave you what was yours. But the Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seeds. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to those who have 10 talents. Now, he doesn't judge all three of these guys as a group. He judges them individually. I mean, as a whole, he gave, what, eight talents out? Five, two, and one. So eight. He's got 15 back. It's a pretty good return. Almost doubled his money if you looked at the whole. But he doesn't. He holds the five accountable for the five. He holds the two accountable for the two. And he holds the one accountable for the one. Each one of us is responsible for what we do with what God's given us. We are his workmanship, and we are his servants. We do what he wants us to do. Now, what he's telling this last guy is, at least you could have pooled your money with the other guys. If you were afraid to do something with it, fine. Then hand it over to someone who's not afraid to do something with it. At least I would have got, you know, in the bank, at least I would have got some interest off of the deal, but you didn't do anything with it. He's very disappointed. Calls him lazy from here on out, we're gonna see an interesting theme here. There is the sin of commission, that we commit sin, and then there is the sin of omission in our lives. The things we don't do, and I never repent for the things I haven't done for God. Never even crosses my mind. I know that I've missed opportunities. I know that I haven't done everything I should do for the Lord, and I have I know that I never have thought about necessarily. i I knew there were missed opportunities, I would call them. Oh, God, give me another chance. But I never really repented of them or asked for forgiveness. Or I'm so sorry, you know. He holds this guy accountable. You're a wicked, lazy servant. Slothfulness is one of the seven deadly sins. That sloth, just that laying there, just that, mm, that attitude. I gave you a talent and you stuck it in the ground. And I've been gone all this time. What did you do this whole time? The whole time you were there, what did you do? And I see that. And he calls him on it, and he doesn't pull any punches. You are a wicked and lazy servant. For to everyone who has, Jesus sums up here, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now you can see why I have a hard time with, oh, wow, we all best get working for Jesus tonight. I don't want to lose my salvation. Well, I don't know that he ever had it. He had a misunderstanding of who God was. He may have been on the team, but he might not have been saved. And so it may go along with the the other parable, taking that just a step further. You've been given responsibilities. And he's talking about morality here. You didn't do anything for anybody with the money that I gave you. You didn't use it at all, you know? I was looking outside while we were singing. and I see the brome grass, I think it's brome grass. I don't really know. I got to thinking of how many seeds are at the top of that brome grass. I'm thinking, oh, that started with one seed and there's that parable and it produces a hundred more seeds on top and no one really cares about the one plant. I'm going through all this in my mind. Nobody cares about the one plant anymore. All we do is look at the other seeds on top and then they're going to get scattered and they're going to plant and that's how God's kingdom works, you know, kumbaya kind of thing. And I was just, uh, thinking, that's what these talents are for. That's what these gifts are for. I, I have given you the gospel to share. First of all, you haven't even used it on yourself. Second of all, I expect those who know the gospel and receive Christ to spread, to share. I want you to do something with this money, <laughs> with this gift I've given you. I want you to do something with it. Please, at least get some in, you know interest off of it. Anyway, he doesn't, and Jesus concludes with, they're going to cast the unprofitable servants into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is no hiding from the responsibility God's given us to receive Christ. And there is no hiding from the responsibility that once we've received Christ, that we should be active, that It should bear fruits of repentance in our lives, that we go out and tell other people about the Lord or minister to other people on behalf of God. Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, so now he's switching, no more parables, actual stuff. When the Son of Man comes in his glory with all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a, sh- as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. This is that story. It's not even a story, it's actual. Okay. So before he's very careful to say this is a story, this is a story, what I'm telling you now in verse 31 they did what they were called to do as believers. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger or take you in? Uh, when were you naked and clothed you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the King will answer and say to them, assuredly I say to you, and as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Now we hit on this a little bit on Sunday. Um, about ministering to those in need around us and how the temperature, uh, emotional or spiritual temperature of this world has changed so drastically in the last two years, year and a half, how divided we are, how resentful we are about those who don't work. You can feel that being pumped on us. They're just collecting checks. We hear that all the time. And as a Republican and a conservative, I understand that. And to hear my president whisper, yeah, but we've given them a bargaining chip. Now the bosses are going to have to pay them more, you know, because that's a bargain. They either You either pay them more or they're going to stay on there. They're going to just take your money. So you choose what you want to do. You want to pay them to work for you more or do you want to, so, you know, I'm with you on that. And yet, as a pastor, to be very careful, they don't harden my heart. To doing what I'd always done before for the last 51, well, I was a baby, so let's say when when did I start helping people? Maybe it was 10 or 12. Start recognizing the needs of other people. So for 41 years, I've always seen the person who might need help or someone who's stuck on the side of the road. I've always been given that example, my dad, always, and my mom giving money to people that might need help or and not asking what they're going to do with it. Just here, just take it. And he'd always do it subtly. They'd, they'd be careful, you know, helping someone on the side of the road, giving them a ride or whatever. Always had that example. I have to be careful that I don't get to that place where my love waxes cold and I forget. No, I still do that. I may not agree with what's going on politically and how things are going. And yeah, there's a lot of people out there that take advantage of the system, there always has been. But it doesn't mean I don't keep my eyes wide open for these moments right here. Because I may be helping Jesus or an angel in disguise. And then when I do it to one of the least of these, I've done it to him. And he's taking notes. He's keeping track. And he calls them sheep and says, you've done it well, and I'm proud of you. And that's exactly right. I love to see you. Uh, The the poor you're always going to have with you, Jesus said. The strangest verse probably I've ever read in Scripture. What she's done, she's done for my burial. It's good that she dumped all that money's worth of ointment on my head. She's done that for me because she's worshiping me. You're always going to have the poor with you. I'm like, how do you say that with a straight face being like Jesus and all, you know? I thought you'd be on Judas's side when he said you should have sold that and given it to the poor, but he wasn't. He said the poor are always going to be with you, and that's on purpose. This world is divided up into people that have and the people that don't have as much. Some people because they've earned it. They've earned their poverty. Other people just because, just because. life is hard for a lot of people, you know. Life doesn't work out all the way like it does work out for us sometimes. There's just difficulties out there. Roadblocks, they're just poor with us all the time. Now, to recognize the difference between those who have earned their poverty and those who have just have it thrust upon them, or because life is harder because they've been ripped off or they've been taken advantage of, I have to be soft and ready to be looking for the people in these positions. Not because I want to see if it's Jesus and if I'm going to get a reward, but because that's the normal thing to do for a Christian. So I encourage us all to pray on our own. God, help me not to get caught up in this cycle of division and coldness and them and us and all that. And, of course, be wise as serpents. We don't have to be foolish and stupid and just run down the street throwing money out the window, of course. But when you have that Holy Spirit moment, that divine um, ordained opportunity by God and you know it and you you sense it, you know it, please keep doing it like you always have. Keep helping people that desperately need it, that you know that the Lord has put in your path on purpose. You remember that couple, That it's actually a whole family used to drive around that big wagon in Maryville. They lived in it, you know. there's a a blind guy who would sit in the pastor's seat, long beard. Does anybody ever, do you guys know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. And his wife would drive and the two gals would be in the back. And then one time I saw one of them working at Casey's or something like, Oh, you're out of the you're out of the car. You know, great. This is great, you know. Um, I saw them one time at Walmart and they were pulled off to the side where the pickup is now in the orange, and they had everything out of the pouring rain, everything out of the back of the car, and they were sawing through the back of the of the uh of the uh, um of the station wagon, sawing through the metal. And any mechanic here knows where they're going. They're trying to get to the gas tank because the fuel tank is, you know, the the fuel pump is on top of the gas tank. And if you're homeless, how do you drop your tank and empty it and do all that? So they went from the top to get to the fuel pump. And I saw them going through this. I'm like, I don't know what's happened here or why you're in this position or what brought you to this place of homelessness. Maybe it's chosen. I don't know. Sometimes people do those things all i know is i'm seeing this for a reason and so in the name of calvary chapel not jd but we as a body helped them out that night with church funds so it was your money going to them it wasn't even it wasn't dirk's money it was your money going to them we helped them out that night we've got to stay soft like that because i could have easily said oh, you know what nobody needs to live like that that's a choice There's a food pantry right over there. I know that you can go through programs and get housing. I know this. I know all I know, but that was not that moment. That moment was, no, I'm showing you this on purpose. And so this guy says, what's your name? I said, "Ah, Calvary Chapel. And he gets out his notepad and he writes it down and put us on their prayer list. I mean, if that... I mean, now I don't know if that was Jesus driving or if that was an angel in disguise or not, but that's about the closest you could ever get, you know? Stay soft. Jesus is taking notice. He's telling his guys at the last, please don't get hard. Don't get hardened. Verse 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you curse or cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Not us, Jesus' own mouth, I prepared this place for them, okay? But you're going there now too, for I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they will also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? And that means they were looking to serve only on the stage of, that Jesus would see them working on. That's what they're looking for. Oh, we were, lo- we were always, we were always ready to see you. We were always ready to take care of you. And in the process, you bypassed everybody else. All the people I put in your path, you walked right past them because all you wanted to do was be seen serving Jesus. What a danger. When the believer or unbeliever seeks ministry, but won't minister, until they can be on the stage, or near the stage, or in the light. Jesus sees that, recognizes that. He says, they will also answer and say, when did we see you? And he will answer them, saying, assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as much as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. The sin of omission, that is actually counted against us as sin, that needs to be repented of. He calls them on it. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life, um, and that's where we close tonight. It's a it's a powerful chapter, and and I know we just skimmed the surface. I know I know how deep we can go here. I really do, but I also. Jesus is saying all this. I mean, this is an information download like you wouldn't believe. To all of his guys before he's about to be crucified, he is trying to get a point across. Okay, the kingdom of heaven, um, it's like a marriage, and it's like ten virgins. Uh, The kingdom of heaven, it's like a guy leaving and giving out talents. And I am watching you, and I am looking to see if any of you are going to do what you're supposed to be doing, busy about my father's business like I was busy about my father's business I'm expecting you, it's required, it's, it's seen, it's written down. I mean, he is just trying to make, and I hope we got that tonight. Because I don't want to be a hearer only, we want to be doers. And no matter how many times I tell myself this, be sure and do, be sure and do, because oftentimes I don't. And I miss the opportunities, and I miss the, the days, and, and, I, and I've, I've recently started repenting of those moments. You know, I mean, I, I've always said, I'm sorry I missed that opportunity, but I always thought it as, as, a oh, bummer for me that I didn't get to be used by God there. Never, no, you didn't help the person I sent in your path to help. And he's not happy with that and expects more, you know. And I know many of you have your own stories about this, don't you? I know you do. I've heard some of them. I, can't, I probably couldn't recite them. And you know what it's like when you nail it, don't you? When you do help that person, when you walk away going, oh, the tingles, the whole moment, just like that was the Lord, that was so cool. You know those moments. I mean, why would we ever want to miss any of those moments? Don't let this world and their arguing and their divisiveness and their purposefully making us hard and unloving and hating each other, don't let them get into your heart remember who we are. We're Christians. We love Jesus. We're here to be about his business like he was. He didn't ask who they were when he was healing. He didn't ask anything about them when he was feeding them. He just did it, you know? And as God gives us opportunities to walk in these good works, good, bad, or ugly, whatever their hearts are, none of my concern really. If I'm moved by the Holy Spirit to help or to be a blessing, do it. And it's accounted to you for righteousness. That's all that matters. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the love you've given us, the Holy Spirit that resides in us and leads and guides us into all truth and opportunities to be a blessing, to be moved by your Holy Spirit is an amazing thing. And I pray that for all of us, God, that we would have eyes wide open spiritually, that we would recognize the attack from the enemy, which can come from all sorts of places, places we didn't even expect to get us to be divided or to hate or to not see um, who we need to see and to be a blessing. Um, Help us to be always so in tune with your spirit that we're able to walk in that and to, uh, to be about your business, to be a blessing to those that you put in our path. Lord, for those that may be without oil tonight, they're not believers. They're pretenders. They know it, but only they know it. Nobody else knows it but them. But they feel that tug on their heart tonight that they need to get some oil, that they don't want to wait around until it's too late and they're scrambling to find salvation. They want it tonight. And so if you're that person, pray with me right now. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I know my sins have separated me from you. Your intent was for me to live forever with you. That's why you created me. But I have aligned myself with Satan and have sinned against you in rebellion. And now I know that my destination was hell. But you love me. You sent your son here in person to die on the cross for my sins, to take my place. And I trust in that, and I believe on him for salvation. Lord, I want to be born again. I want to be filled with your spirit. I want to be changed and transformed. I want to live for you now. I want to walk with you. I want to be saved. So, Lord, I'm all yours. You gave your life for me. I'm giving your, my life for you tonight. It's all yours. I'll serve you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the night.